listen in the place where you are. Turn north towards patreon.com slash duckfeedtv where you can support us. Uh, and we'll continue to talk about the weather and the government and uh, everything, you know, REM with your support. So if you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, uh, you can help that out and be a world leader for real. All these references will make sense. If you, if you don't listen to the screen, you'll know them after the episode. This is Gary Butterfield. This is Cole Ross. And you're listening to File Underwater, the show where we try to convince you that R.E.M. has not sold out. (laughs) And this week we are talking about Green, which was released on November 7th of 1988. Um, (laughs) Man, that sellout thing. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, This is is the point at which the oral history just becomes this bloodbath. (laughs) (laughs) It's just uh, who's who, who's insecure in Athens, Georgia in 1988, so... They call if it you, green uh, because it's money, man. It's it's you know like that has to be like at least they knew that was coming. Well, like yeah. if not intentional, right? Like they were just like, this is we're gonna get called out for this. If yeah. not, they're idiots. Yeah. If 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 it was if it was intentional, and uh, they gave a lot of reasons for why they went with this title. If it was intentional, it was probably meant as like a a goofy semi tone deaf REM joke. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Bad optics. <laughs> oh, bad optics. Oh. Yeah. I, oh, I, I, fuck. <laughs> I feel like it just got doused with douche water. Jesus. Yeah. It's just, uh, <laughs> well, you know, optics are in the news today. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, t- today we're talking about Green, um, the first uh, kind of major label album from R.E.M. Mm-hmm. And like a good like place for this demarcation point. Yeah. Of the band, like the IRS years and the Warner Brothers years, like early Warner Brothers stuff feel very different. They they certainly do going from document, which is this incredibly um, just let, let's say crunchy, incredibly dark, incredibly loud, uh, very political album to something that is not as gentle as people, I think, say uh, mm-hmm. through, through and through, you know, like anytime you generalize about an R.E.M. album, there's going to be an exception on it. Um, but um, they decided to shake things up. Warner didn't get the band that they thought they were buying. Yeah, yeah, which I I appreciate again, yeah. and that kind of like you know kind of weird uh, REMI jokey kind of way almost <laughs> like just kind of this is what you're getting. Yep. Um, Offer yeah. me ten million dollars. Here's a mandolin. <laughs> Bring. Yeah, it's just a yeah. Y'all got mandolin. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, Warner Brothers, you just got mandolin. <laughs> I I went to my KRS one video because voice for that because I'm really excited about next oh, episode. Oh my gosh, it's gonna be so um, good. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, that's a. Uh, I, I'll save it for that. <laughs> yeah. um, so this is released on uh, November 7th, 1988. Uh, and so that's Election Day. Yes. 1988. Um, um, and this is an explicitly like had a political kind of release to it. Yeah. They they, they actually thought about uh, buying ads saying, hey, there are two things you can do on Election Day. <laughs> yeah. Know, go, go vote and then maybe buy this album. Uh, and that, vote for not just vote. Vote for. Yeah. yeah vote for vote for Mike Dukakis. You know, was the, the son the... of Greek immigrants. <laughs> He, he wore a helmet once in a tank. Yeah. 
little yeah. little Mike Dukakis. Yeah. I only know Mike Dukakis from jokes about him on the critic. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but the <laughs> like, I, they they did take out ads. They just didn't they didn't take out that ad. But right, Michael right. Stipe personally took out ads in college newspapers saying, "Don't get bushwhacked. Yeah. Get out and vote. Vote smart, Dukakis." Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he, he structured his uh, his argument as though it was a Burma shave ad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. But uh. You know. And and instead we got uh, George Bush Senior. And uh, what a what a mild monster he turned out to be in the, <laughs> you know, it's still like, you know, the, the, the stuff like tripping over themselves to congratulate him are ridiculous. But yeah, it's just like, Michael, it can get worse. No, Michael, <laughs> campaign harder. Yeah, please. Um, we need to stop this as soon as we can. But Mills on the case. Yeah. Um, so, they, uh, so this uh, and it was it wasn't always called green. You know, again, they kind of changed it to that. They listed all those reasons like, um, you know, environmental reasons, um, kind of, uh, naivete. Yes. Um, you know, something, something kind of being green, uh, getting a new start, uh, was another yes. one that I saw like, Hey, we're, uh, we're a new band. We're on a new label. Like this is, this is REM 2.0. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but their original title was think tank decoy, which have you, uh, have we had a original title or a working title yet? That wasn't awful. Uh, no, no, yeah. we haven't. <laughs> they're all universally, they're all universally pretty shitty. <laughs> yeah. And think tank decoy, like I don't know, it, it just makes me think of Heart Spark Dollar Sign. Oh yeah, that Stone Temple Pilot song or something. Like it just sounds like that that cadence I don't like. Yeah. Oh. It's definitely it doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, and green is nice and ambiguous. You can mm-hmm. kind of project it. Um, I, I, I mean, personally, I think that the political angle of it is you know not not so much just like hey the green party or whatever but green environmental politics we're gonna see a little bit more of that um on around tour. yeah on their tour and also on the uh, around the release of um out of time yeah but um so there's that and then also on their tour for this they allowed uh greenpeace they invited greenpeace to come and like set up tables in the lobbies of the places where they played yeah, so. and they had to because if they had if they had named it Think Tank Decoy, there just would have been you know the Center for Constitution Justice or whatever set up in the little tent. <laughs> yeah. Like again, I can't think of any actual like think tanks, but yeah, they always have yeah. names like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is uh, this the big thing here, kind of career wise, was leaving IRS. Yes. Um, one of the things that uh, people need to remember though is that IRS like. They haven't really been on like a truly indie label. No. It reminds me of how games like are where like, oh, this is indie. But it's like, no, it's actually published by Microsoft. Yeah. Devolver is like a, like a huge, huge publisher. Now. Yeah. De- Devolver is huge. So it's indie, but it's like mid middleweight. Yeah. And yeah. IRS has always been middleweight. They haven't been like on an indie indie label since like Hibtone. Right. IRS right. had major distribution. It was done through I- AMA. Um, like it was uh, it was, you know, a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. They were always hooked up to the apparatus. Yes. Um, and credibility is a marketing ploy a lot of the time. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> punk was a mistake. Um, but yeah, like that, so, so like that is something to keep in mind when you look at this, that is not to say that IRS didn't understand that REM wanted to move on to greener pastures, right? They were aware that they had a chance of losing them, um, and kind of frequently, um, <laughs> after they got about two albums out started trying to renegotiate uh the terms uh for mm-hmm. them like saying like hey let's uh we'll give you more money um in exchange for extending our engagement you know beyond these uh beyond these five albums right yeah and they and they never wanted to do that and for multiple reasons like when yeah. they ultimately ended up signing up for warner brothers one of the reasons why it was hard or why the reason they were reluctant um is like there's interviews where multiple members of the band more or less said the reason why we were reluctant to go 
moved to this major label was not because it was a major label, but because we weren't sure we wanted to make five more REM albums ever, you know, period. <laughs> right. yeah. Like this is signing up for being a band for another 10 years mm-hmm. or so. And it wasn't like it was like dark times. It wasn't like they were, you know, hated each other or yeah. wanted to break up. It just, they, you know, it's a big commitment. Yeah. They, they've always been a band that has done a ton or ton of other stuff on the side. Um, yeah. And we're going to see like this happens and they fall kind of face first into a really onerous touring situation that is the direct result a little bit of the wider of the wider um you know kind of global distribution that they get through warner brothers yeah. and through web when the weirdest thing is that it's their best tour right like at least <laughs> as far so as that, that's been documented like i think this is the best um this tour they're just doing their best work and that shows up even like i was like oh this is my bias but again it shows up in that oral history like even scenesters who are like mm-hmm. like fuck these guys they used to be my friend and now they won't say hi um, are still just like, yeah, they did a really good show that tour. Yeah. Like I saw them at the end. They were so obviously burnt out. They would just go back to their dressing room and not talk to anybody afterwards, but they just put on this amazing show. Yeah. And like, just contrast it with like the work tour stuff that we, <laughs> you know, that's in the show notes and that we listened to for the last tour. And it's like, I don't know if it's just a function of better, like it could literally be better equipment and sound, Yeah, yeah. you know, better venues. So like mm-hmm. a better way to record this, but they just sound so much better. Yeah. And they're, they're just not, they don't feel like they're phoning it in like no. at all. Like it doesn't have that kind of like. Michael Sipes is going to get kind of, you know, baby and just start making noises in the middle of a song. They're off key. <laughs> right. They just don't do that during this tour. No, no. Um, it's it's remarkable. Like, you know, I, I tend to, let's say, skip around some of those live sections um, on the uh, deluxe editions that we get. You know, um, this one, I listened to it straight through because it was so good, because it was this um, sampling across their entire career and even projecting a little bit forward in, into the future a little mm-hmm. bit like they like like they tend to do um it's 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 fantastic you know they've been very reluctant to release live albums you know at least up to this point um Mm -hmm. who knows if that was a mistake or not but like this is good stuff that is worth hearing yeah and then and the secret to it and we'll talk a little bit more about the tour in general but like the secret is everything's 10 percent faster yeah like if (laughs) if you want to make a good live sounding thing just make everything about 10 percent faster and it will sound high energy and cool you know um yeah so the uh as we mentioned, you know, IRS was trying to keep them uh, pretty desperately, but IRS, you know, it's a major, it was hooked up to that major label apparatus, but it had she distribution overseas specifically. Yeah. We've, I um, mean, count the number of past episodes where we talked about the bad experiences they had in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be, you know, you can find on YouTube kind of like these big crowded shows that are done in, in Berlin and, and London and stuff, but you can imagine just like this band that with their selling out shows in their home in, you know, in the United States going over to Europe and like having half filled rooms and stuff and people not being able to find their record. Like they hear about that stuff. And like, you know, on, on one level I could see that being, it feels like a minor concern. Like, Oh, the distribution, you know, will it play in China kind of thing feels a little douchey and money, but you know, I, because of these guys history and kind of the trust they built up, mm-hmm. I believe them when they just said like, would just people want to hear it and we want them to be able to hear it. Yeah. You know, they want it and we want them to be able to get it. And this is what that takes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like like Peter Buck literally said almost exactly that in talking mm-hmm. about like they, they they took a little bit of a defensive tone around some of those things, but like it is a it is a smart business move and it is a smart uh, artistic move at this level. It, it, yes. it feels like you know, absolutely, yeah. Um, so like as this was going on, they didn't really tour that extensively for document. You know, their last their last big tour was the work tour, right? Um, and we got a little bit of their live act around document. It wasn't that great. IRS was pushing them to do it. They were kind of gearing up for this. 
um, <laughs> until you know they, they they got this shop around from Warner Brothers uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, you know, like we said, they went with Warner Brothers. One of the big ones was Warner had a history of just kind of staying out of artist shit. They were yeah. not really meddlesome in the studio. Yes, and they gave him ten million dollars. <laughs> Which was so they, less they, money. It was it was less money yeah. than um than than other people had uh, offered them. But in another smart move, um, Warner Brothers also uh, set the terms where REM owned the masters. Uh, mm-hmm. They just le- Warner just leased them from the band, yes. which is gigantic. And it, it's also just gigantic because you know, so it's a five album, ten million dollar deal, right? So you have Green, uh, Out of Time, huge hits, Automatic for People, huge hit. Mm-hmm. Monster, not a huge hit. New Adventures and Hi-Fi, not a huge hit. Right. Like, you know, those albums, specifically New Adventures, I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't love Monster. I like Monster, but I love New Adventures. But it wasn't, I remember even at the time being like a little scuttlebutt about it being commercially unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they decided to go for it, like despite the, and, and that's the risk mm-hmm. you're taking if you just give somebody carte blanche yeah. to make things. There's a really, really cute story um, in the oral history about a guy, uh, he uh, worked for the worked for Warner Brothers. And he used to go to this golf course all the time. And uh, people would come and be like, oh, you work in the record industry. And he'd be like, yeah. Like, well, here, my son has a band. He'd give him these tapes. And uh, the tapes are always bad. And he said, one time, this guy comes up to him and says, like, hey, you work in the record industry. My son's in a band. And uh, the guy's just like, oh, this again. He's like, yeah, he's in, in a band called R.E.M. <laughs> and uh, and the record industry guy's like, oh, oh, okay, well, have a nice day. Like, just thought he was fucking with him. And then, uh, you know, they signed R.E.M., <laughs> and then he at the party he asked Mac Mills he's like hey does your dad like ever you know go golfing he's like yeah he goes golfing at this club and he's like oh shit like I just you know was super rude, rude to Mike Mills dad <laughs> and then went back to go golfing again and Mike Mills dad because he's Mike Mills dad and it's just like the plight you know didn't he just goes hey thank you for making my son a millionaire <laughs> um, <laughs> Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree does yeah. it Mike Mills dad smiling politely <laughs> you know <laughs> It's a it's it's like a very sweet story of yeah. just like you know like we're a millionaire you know you just imagine like Mike Mill gee golly <laughs> yeah yeah that um that that that, that sounds about right <laughs> very cute yeah um, and uh, like REM got along with them too like there are stories about. Uh, you know, the band, not like big timing, even just the regular rank and file staff at the label, you know, like the, yeah. it was a, it was a good working relationship like this. This was not characterized at least so far by, by friction, right? Which is yes. not the story. Like you never, you never see that in the history of rock and roll. There's always this outward hostility um, between, um, <laughs> between bands and their labels and bands in the press that just never happens with these guys. Yeah. And yeah. there's like, um, you know, there is kind of a little bit between some members of IRS and a lot of those old scene people, mm-hmm. you know, and it varies like, you know, I mentioned it came up a little bit in the last episode. It varies uh, how much credence I give that stuff. Yeah. You know, like whether it's like, oh, like, you know, these people are jealous or like maybe, you know, R.E.M. were being weird. You know, like there's a lot of reports of them uh, right around this time in the next album getting very paranoid. Um, like a lot of people who would be like, oh, like, you know, they would do a, uh, like a, a, a advertising thing, like a billboard or something, mm-hmm. you know, they came out for this and then, uh, REM would call like a radio station would talk about it. And REM would call this radio station and be like, we had nothing to do with that. We didn't even know it was happening. 
<laughs> and that and then other people will be like, that's 100% not true. Like I was there when they, you know, agreed <laughs> to it. So like there's this, and it reminds me of the whole like, oh, we didn't even work on that. Like this, we recorded that all in four minutes and put oh, it down. Yeah, yeah. Like there's this weird rush to like defensively disown things that they have that I think uh, ultimately it was probably valuable towards them staying regular dudes. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a self-deception that made them, allowed them to maintain their identity. Right, right. It feels like to me. You know, so there, there were some kind of changes. They were kind of like shitty to some members of IRS. Some people in IRS were hurt. Some were yeah. not. Yeah, specifically, Jay, Jay Boberg, uh, as far as I know, is still salty about it to this day. Um, mm-hmm. He, uh, uh, like, just really heartbroken about this. So you, there's a quote in the book that I the, the, that I read, uh, Perfect Circle. I think injustice in, occurred in that the little guy got beaten out for no, for no apparent obvious reason. I can't begin to tell you that I'm not still bitterly disappointed. Yeah. Which, like, understandable, but, like, silly, too. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yep. But it ended up working out for them. It, like, I mean, not for not for IRS, but for REM themselves and for and for Warner. And, and you know, IRS is fine. Yeah. Like, IRS is still around and, like, you know, put out lots of stuff that people were like. Like, their, their place in the ecosystem as, like, an incubation, you know, label mm-hmm. is fine. Yeah. We need those, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when they, when they sat down in the studio to make this album, they very specifically said like, Hey, like we need to make this different. Like, and of course, like it feels like a demarcation, like we're on a new label. Um, you know, let's, let's do something really different. And they said like, let's not play any more REM songs. Yeah. Like the, the, that was almost exactly Michael Stipe's words around this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like no more of those things that we just call like the, the, the bog standard, I forget what our word was for them, but those mid tempo minor key things that Peter Buck says they could write in their sleep, you know? Yes. And they, they and it's funny because uh, like those things are important to REM. Yeah. I like those things. They didn't actually stop. They no. just did. They just stopped the things that they consider that to be, Uh huh. you know, cause so like losing my religion is that Yeah. like losing my religion is an REM ass REM song. Like, yeah. And, if, and by any means, but they, them trying not to make it allowed them to kind of branch out mm-hmm. in these different ways. Um, there's like a demo for this. I couldn't find, um, or the, for the next album, I called the last REM song, Oh, well. uh, because of that, like they were just like, this is, this is that kind of song. <laughs> let's get the poison let's, out. <laughs> let's get the poison out. And they, they, I couldn't find it. Like, I think yeah. it is actually around somewhere, but I couldn't, couldn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things they did to kind of like change that up and not, um, make the same old songs is they switched instruments. Yeah. So um, Bill Berry, you know, dropped the drums and he would go over and start playing bass. Mike Mills um, wanted to play uh, keyboards. So that's what he did. And there's a ton of like uh, organ and Mellotron on this uh, mm-hmm. on, on this album. Um, and Peter Buck was like, I'm 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 competent at guitar. That's what I've gotten to. Uh, I want to go to something I'm uncomfortable with. So he went to the mandolin. Yeah. Yeah. Which will kind of ride out with the next couple albums. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh... Bill Berry only plays, doesn't play drums on four tracks. Right. <laughs> of this album. And this album's 11 songs. So more than a third of it, like he doesn't play on. Right. Um, so another thing that happened is Stipe began kind of writing these lyrics um, in these initial stages when things were just being written. Right. Um, and you hear more tales. This has always kind of been an REM thing, but you hear more tales of uh, him kind of writing based on these snippets or based on like these small kind of like little bits of things and then mm-hmm. getting kind of get developed. And, one of the things I mean, we record these in batches. It's the reason why I keep bringing up out of time, but they also have very similar approaches. Um, when we get to the next episode, we'll talk about, uh, cause it actually, the reissue gives us a window into that process Yeah, and it's, it's awesome in a super uh, educational way. Yeah. Yeah. It like only for us, like it's <laughs> like between the two of us, we're 75% of the people who are interested in that. Like it's, 
it's ridiculous, but it, it's really cool, you know, to read about, you know, in green, this method mm-hmm. that they were using this kind of switching instruments and, and this kind of these jams and then see how it actually kind of worked out. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to get like a like a step-by-step kind of versioning of it almost yeah yeah uh, it's 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 really cool but you can hear it like it does it does bring something something new to this you know it's uh it's it's about getting out of comfort zones um and i can i can say just real quick too like and this is i, I know i keep bringing this up on the network it's just because i'm excited about it but since i've been learning to play the ukulele like uh-huh. I, I started writing songs on it and i'm writing different songs that i'd write on a keyboard mm-hmm like it literally like a level of uh, expertise or like proficiency will definitely change what the kind of things you make. Yeah. And it reminds me of like when you first start doing anything, you can make something that's very amateurish and it doesn't seem that way to you. Like, you know, the first song that I you know ever wrote on keyboard, like was super, super simple, but it felt really cool to me because it was done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and because and I, I did it, you know. Um, it doesn't matter what, how sophisticated it was. It just felt cool. Yeah. And uh, recapturing that is all over this record. So yeah. like a bunch of these super simple pop songs and like, <laughs> you know, that's you can tell that's what it is. It's like, oh, this is the kind of thing if somebody didn't usually play an instrument and stumbled across this, they would think it's the coolest sounding thing in the world. Yeah, um, it's a it's a it's a confidence move, right? Like they were <laughs> they were relatively assured that uh, their songwriting, uh, for lack of a better word, expertise would uh, would carry them through, um, you know, and actually like it doesn't matter if we are you know, physically doing something that is different, you know, like us working together, we'll make something out of it. Our instincts will carry us through. Yes. And like, I, we haven't really said this yet, but I really love this album. Oh, it's I think so that good. They, they, yeah, I think that they're, they're correct. Like, I, yeah. I think this is a really good REM album. Yeah, like with one notable hiccup, and we'll talk about it when we get to the track by track. Ooh, Ooh. I'm, I'm curious. I don't, yeah. I don't know what your hiccup is. I don't, I don't know what your hiccup with, 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 uh, with, with one notable hiccup, I think that this is like front to back, uh, one of the most satisfying um, complete albums we've seen uh, in a while. You know, like, I don't think that there is a, ter- you know, there is not a noticeably weak side here. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. And and actually, like, I like the next album, too. Yeah. I don't think I like it quite as much, but it's also very good. Yeah. Um, So this was recorded in Ardent Studios, which is where Big Star recorded, which makes tons of sense. They share tons of musical DNA. Right. Um, they recorded about three months and Scott Litt returned to produce and he will produce the next few albums. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Litt's going to be around. Yeah. Three months. Um, they said like, oh yeah, that's way too much time to record an album. That would have yes. been incredibly strenuous for any other band, but REM, you know, they work. Oh, we just tossed it off in a couple minutes. Oh, it's just matter. no problem. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Oh, okay. you like that? Yeah. I don't, okay. Yeah. I don't care. I don't like it actually. I think it's not very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yep. REM's mantra is, oh, you like that? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. Actually, it's bad. So the, um, um, and speaking of actually, it's bad. Uh, the critics didn't get it. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't get a very good, uh, a very good reception. It's always funny, um, actually, when you when you see when you see something like this. This happened with Murmur as well. When a publication issues a review that is really hostile, but then let's say two or three years later, maybe sometimes even a decade later, they re-review it and bump the score higher. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really famously um, happened with Pinkerton yeah, Weezer yeah. from uh, Pitchfork. Yeah, that's the like, error example. Yeah, but, like Pitchfork is uh, like the patient zero for that shit. Yeah, yeah, which is you know it's fine. Like you have to you can reconsider something in its own time. Like I think I think that's fine to do. You know, reviews are only ever a snapshot. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just so, a... but it it just goes to show you to like be questioned. You know, when you're like something you hear this and it's like this is a challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, to not immediately mistake that for bad. Like unless it's Dark Souls three, but especially <laughs> if it's Dark Souls two. So yeah, <laughs> so, uh, 
So you thought with Bonfireside Chat retiring, that stuff would end, but it's only going to get worse. Oh, no. It's an external example. Yeah, now it's in the blood. The appendix is burst. <laughs> yeah, it's it's time to go. <laughs> um, and uh, so the commercial success was also a really, a really slow burn, too. Um, and this is attributed, at least in the book that I read, to the fact that over the 18 months uh, prior to the release, they also put out document, dead letter office, and eponymous. Yeah, uh, they worked way too cl- <laughs> they worked way too fast. Do- you know, documents tail stomped on that, and then all of these reissues that IRS did with their involvement actually uh, just kind of oversaturated them a little bit. Yeah, even though eventually this did become a huge hit. Yeah. You know, like um, and like Stand was a huge single. Mm-hmm. Stand Stand is one of those REM songs that everyone in the world knows. Of course, uh, rightfully uh, so. Yeah, because um, it's, it's a great song. Yeah. The um, yeah. So and eventually, like, it even outsold Document, which had the one, the one I love, which is which is a huge hit, as we talked yeah, about. Yeah. Um, and that is directly due to that greater kind of global distribution, right? Uh, that they have. Yep. You just op- It's a it's a different carrying capacity. You operate on a different level. You know. Um, I have a story real quick again from the oral history that I want to tell about this uh, reception. Okay. Yeah. Where there's a guy who deli- uh, reviewed it named David Lindsay, um, and they were doing this tour. And uh, one of their friends who worked with REM invited him to the tour. He's like, hey, it's sold out. Would you come? He's like, I don't really want to come because he didn't like the album. He had written a pretty shitty review of it. Um, And she's like, no, I'd like to see you You can come. You can invite somebody. Um, He asked around. Nobody he knew could go. But one of a friend of a friend went who was like a 16 year old girl who really wanted who loved REM. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm going to bring this kid. He gets to the venue. He asks, he says, like, hey, is there uh, some tickets for me? You know, for for David Lindsay. And uh, the person at the desk is like, oh, oh, my God. And, uh, and he's like, what, are there no tickets? He's like, well, there's a package for you Uh-oh. and hands him an envelope. <laughs> Did it contain human shit? Well, <laughs> not quite. Oh, just about though. Um, it says it, it was a package inside. It had a clipping of the review he had made and it said, no way, not with a review like this. You've got to walk it. Like you talk it signed JMS. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, oh, this is a mistake. Like Liz, you know, told me there'd be tickets. Who's JMS. I go, that's Michael Stipe. Like it's like John Michael Stipe uh who did it and he was just like oh fuck and there's you know and he's super upset about it and everything and he's like if i ever see that guy again i'm gonna punch him in the nose okay and he's he's super pissed about it. he's like this guy thinks he's so big but he broke this girl's heart and like obviously michael stipe didn't know that he was bringing a 16 year old band right right never seen seen the band or anything like that but yeah. uh and then the the funny thing at the end so um he took the he took the letter and he sent Michael Stipe a postcard that said thank you for your autograph michael i sold it for a large <laughs> sum of money and gave the money to operation rescue in your name um liz took that to michael michael looked at the card and said he's got my address now <laughs> who's operation rescue anyway uh, she tried to explain it to him and he said well at least he gave it to a cause <laughs> um and then <laughs> that's the end of <laughs> at least he their interactions i was hoping it would be like oh that 13 year old and 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 uh and and, and him Lindsay, got uh got, got passes to another show in the region or something like that no 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 yeah, yeah it, it it didn't you know it ended way after that because that's one of the things that's uh you know, again, with everybody being like, yeah, REM is sold out and kind of shitty now yeah. is that like they are recruit like recluding themselves like mm-hmm. people are have to interact through their management. Right. There's a lot of people in the oral history or heard about having to talk to Jefferson Holt. Hmm. They're like, you know, I wouldn't even hear from Michael. I would hear from Jefferson who told like ask me information passed on from Michael, like ask like where, you know, what the phone numbers were for our mutual friends and shit. Oh, wow. You know, like, hey, would you call my friend and ask them this thing? You know, it's, it's a little bit weird. Yeah. So. But that story is just like really interesting. And it's like, again, it seems kind of dicky, but I can also see like as somebody whose work gets reviewed, mm-hmm. you know, like the guy who wrote the like Bonfireside Chat has fallen from grace review. If he wanted to get into the Bonfireside Chat live show with like free tickets, like fuck that guy. You know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't give that guy free tickets to the show. Right, right. I get I get that impulse. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's one of those things. As an outsider, you want to say, I'd hope you would be more gracious than that as somebody who can relate. It's like, yeah, you know, that that makes a little bit of sense. Like, like people I, read I could, that shit. I, yeah, I could, I could under, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, that, that could do, I don't know. I was yeah. about to say that could do some damage, but that, yeah, I don't want to walk down that road. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, 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 it's fine. It's fine to do that kind of, it's, it's fine to write whatever kind of review you want, but don't go expecting favors is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like, it's weird how much I personally am kind of projecting creative and business values from REM onto myself and vice versa. Like I admire so much about what they do in the way that they operate and want to take lessons and smile at myself when I see us operating in, you know, like ways that like in my petty little mind think like, Oh yeah, that, that feels similar to like how I feel, what I value that those little anecdotes actually are kind of disappointing. Like, I don't know that I would actually do that. I, you know, if, if like, if, if, like literally the you know somebody who did that like ask for a free ticket or something like that i wouldn't do it i'd yeah. give it wouldn't give it to him i don't know if i would do the whole showmanship thing yeah yeah you know where i, I would be like make sure he knows he's fucked yep. you know i don't think i would do that but i would be like oh no you know like nah <laughs> yeah. you know i, I like, don't i don't, well, well, I don't owe you anything well, well, what the, what that says to me is that michael stipe was carrying that grudge around and had that set up like he was he's he's, he's basically <laughs> insecure artist batman at that point well, i don't know if he was i i imagine the woman said like like hey i hope it's all right but i invited x and okay. he was like oh no you know i don't oh, think he was just yeah, like yeah. you know had that as a standard contingency for every show <laughs> <He> just, <laughs> watch, you know? watching every okay we're going to this city i know this yeah. that's where this critic lives Here are the would, you, would you get jefferson holt to call this guy and ask if this guy <laughs> this critic's in the city um like i don't think that i think it's probably yeah. his management said like hey i invited this yeah, guy he's yeah. like oh i wish you hadn't done that uh, okay yeah. you know and it wasn't like when you say carrying it around like it was recent they were on the tour and the review just the album just came out yeah yeah you need to like put like all this time into something you just make and just have somebody take a shit on it especially if it's somebody you had a working relationship with before mm -hmm. you know like that's got to feel bad yeah i haven't i couldn't actually i was looking around for the review i didn't look very hard so it might be out there but i didn't find it i want to find it and see if it was particularly like eviscerating yeah yeah you know huh well, I mean, so I get, I get it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I can see, uh, I, I can see both perspectives on it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, I wouldn't, you know, and if I knew about the girl, like, and again, Michael Stipe didn't know about the girl. The guy was saying like, oh, he crushed this girl's dream. What an asshole! Hmm. He didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like he, he didn't know that like, oh, there's a 16 year old fan who really loves us who's completely innocent. Fuck her. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he didn't, he didn't know that. Yeah. So. Yep. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about that uh, that tour. Yeah, they toured for 11 months. I cannot imagine being on the road for 11 whole months. That's a lot. I can't imagine. Like, I get exhausted going, like, driving eight hours to go to Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And to have them be in different countries and stuff like that. Like, it's understandable that they got that they got pretty, pretty burned out. They also, um, you'll be, I think because it was a uh, such a huge tour, um, this is the first tour that they had a determined, like, set list. Like, they didn't play everything in the exact same order, but they're like, you know, we're going to play with encores. You know, we're going to play like 22 or 23 songs. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 of those have to be, you know, we have to play 20 of those. Right. Like, these are the songs everyone wants to hear. This is what we're going to do. And because of that, they played them over and over and over and just got them so ridiculously tight. And that's part of the reason why the tour like sounds so good. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, yeah. there was no, there were no like audibles called on a whim. Like, uh, let's, yes. let's, let's promote, uh, let, let, let's promote uh, feeling gravity's pull up to. Uh, yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Or, yeah. or just, or just, you know, Oh fuck it. Let's do, you know, I don't know uh body count. Like right. they're not, you're not you know, doing that. So 
<laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they were out there doing this. Um, there's a there, there's a story here. Uh, Bill Barry was bitten by a tick in Georgia. And by the time he got over to uh, over over to Germany, he came down with something called Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. I, I this wasn't in my book. I didn't know about that. <laughs> um, I haven't Googled it. I just I made it. I made a note of it. I want to see what the symptoms of that are because that doesn't sound good. Uh, yeah, sounds like it, something that involves hives. It, it poisons the caterpillar that lives above your eyes, so it falls off. <laughs> and he, he had to wear a face merkin for the rest of the tour. Oh, jeez, this Wikipedia image is is really upsetting. Holy shit! Yeah. Also, upsetting as, like I should go look at it, or upsetting like I shouldn't go look at uh, it. I mean, it's, it's not like like open superating sores on private okay. parts, but it's like um, it is. It's a picture of a hand that has uh, like pox and uh, hives. Oh yeah, that's all okay. over it. Yeah, it's it's really uh, um, it's the most lethal, most frequently reported uh, rickettsial illness in the United States. Uh, yeah, uh, done by uh, tr- transmitted by ticks. That's Fox horrible. Ticks. Yeah, fuck, man. Bill Barry has ticks. a terrible run on tours. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not. He's a, not made for it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, farm life. <laughs> yeah i mean just is so so mike mills is kind of right there behind him but yeah bill barry uh i feel bad for him like they yeah. they canceled the shows and then they just kind of rescheduled them for later Ugh. i feel bad for laughing about rocky mounted spot of fever that sucks no, i think i think it's okay <laughs> i forgive you um so the, the album other than the the rocky mounted spotted fever um <laughs> they did very well uh you know the, the album started to really take off uh in the uk Um, and they ended up doing, uh, top of the pops, which is kind of a big deal. That's a, you know, a rite of passage. (laughs) Right. Um, and top of the pops is entirely like a licks. Like, I think, I don't know if it's entirely, but every performance I remember seeing is lip synced. Yeah. It's, it's known for being incredibly, uh, superficial, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, uh, soul train. Yeah. You know, like it's like the soul train in Britain. Yeah. (laughs) Soul pram. I don't know. (laughs) Soul glory. Oh no. Yeah. Soul glory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, that's pretty that, that, that's pretty good yeah it's just yeah. ridiculous to think of michael stipe who hates lip syncing had never done it in his videos or had rarely done it in his videos up to that point uh getting up there for all the world to see while people just gyrate around him it changes now though like this is where the lip syncing begins oh yes yeah you know? uh no. which is fine i mean it, yeah it, i don't it, I, who cares yeah like it's it's, it's, it's it, again like it, it was a cool thing early on, but it wasn't like R.E.M. is good because they don't lip sync during music videos. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so for as successful as the European tour was, you know, thanks to Warner and W.E.B., um, the American tour was not so hot. They uh, mm-hmm. they came back and were, you know, kind of for the first time in a while selling to venues in America that were not entirely sold out. And this had to do with uh, partially with them being in a uh, in an awkward spot between playing theaters and playing arenas. Yes, this was them. This was a function of them playing bigger things. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, again, being defensive about selling out, they said, hey, we need to play, uh, you know, arenas. We need to have more more seats open because what we don't want to have happen is for us to play a smaller Sculpers. venue. Yeah, exactly. And have uh, and have a longtime fan come up and say, hey, I paid two hundred dollars to get into this show. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was I mean, they did have they did have shows that were sold out. Right. But it was inconsistent. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I mean, it still ended up being like a financially successful and artistically successful tour. Right. You know, they were gone for 11 months. Like you make a lot of money in 11 months. Yeah. You know, play working every night uh, for that, that time. Like uh, <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Like yeah. um, one of the interesting things is they did um, at the end of the tour, they did this benefit show mm-hmm. uh, in Atlanta. Um, and it was like near the end. You could tell they're kind of burnt out. And since they were, you know, when they're in Georgia and their home hometown, 
uh, before they played their tour set, they played Murmur in its entirety. Holy shit, right. Uh, which is like, and, you know, there's like, it shows up in the oral history. It's just this kind of thing. Like, you know, they started with Radio Free Europe and they're like, oh, cool. Like, they're pulling out an oldie. And then they played Pilgrimage and like, oh. Huh, and then so they played like laughing. And it's like, oh, shit. You know, and, <laughs> and the weird thing, it was like a benefit thing. And they just did Murmur front to back mm-hmm. and then Green front to back. Oh, wow. Uh, and then, and just played those two albums. That and makes like, sense because they have a lot in common, actually. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's a weird, I, I've seen, um, I went and saw uh, Stephen Melkmus and the Jicks, oh. which is uh, Stephen Melkmus's yeah. band. Yeah, that's great. Um, and they did that. They played. Uh, they went did a show, and um, they're like, "This song is the first song." And I was expecting it to be the first song of the first album, but they played uh, like "Summer Summer uh, Girl" mm-hmm. winter version or, or whatever the first song on the first Pavement album, and just played the first Pavement record <laughs> in its entirety, like front to back. Which, like for me, uh, I'm like I like Pavement. The first record's not my favorite. So for me, it was like a little bit of a bummer, (laughs) like, but people went like ape shit, right? Like people, people were crazy for that. Yeah. And I was like, no. Yeah. No. Um, (laughs) I don't know. You're Stephen Malcolmus of all the things he's associated with. I know him. I I like him most from the silver Jews. Oh yeah. 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 Um, Um, that, that was non sequitur. I just wanted to say, I really love the silver Jews. So yeah, silver Jews are good. Silver (laughs) Jews. Um, I think are one of the very, like not few, but like it's a band that I think is good mostly because of the lyrics, Yeah, which is something I I think rarely, but the silver Jews are really like, um, David Berman, right? That's the other Mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. The silver Jews. He's got, um, he's an excellent poet. You can buy, um, collections of his poetry and it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why I like them. I like their lyrics an awful lot. Like it's, it's them and the national, like both of those, both of those feel very similar to me. Yeah, um, that was a weird little hipster digression. Um, yeah, yeah. Impressed, ladies. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Can you tell I worked in college radio? Um, yes. So, um, towards when the end, Pandora of- says you might also like. I listen. <laughs> <laughs> when Pandora talks, I, I my ears perk yeah, up. People say for band people who like pavement, you might like other bands that pavement is in. I take their word for it, baby. <laughs> um, um, so the book that I read uh, kind of talked about tour film, uh, which is kind of the closest thing they got for a while to a to, to a live album. Talked about that in relation to like them seeing the writing in the wall for like, hey, maybe touring in America isn't going to work so much for us anymore, and also feeling pretty burnt out, saying like, if we're not going to tour a lot in the very near future, let's get let's capture as much as this as we can. So over the course of four of, of four performances, they had a bunch of people film. Uh, different things in different uh, film formats and release that as a, uh, as, as a live concert uh, video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great as we mentioned. Oh, it's awesome. Um, it's the same thing that's on the, uh, the Apple music bonus version, you know, 25th anniversary version. Yeah. That live show is, is from that same tour. A lot of the performances are the same one. It's fun to watch. Like they did um, a bunch of weird, like uh, stadium trick stuff that is unusual. Like, they have um, like a projector that like greets the audience. Like they don't come <laughs> so, out so, until so they, they start. So playing. they don't have to come out and say hello, Cleveland. They, yeah. Like, it how just you projects, doing? It projects how you doing city name here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So they, they, they do that and it's, it's kind of fun and goofy. And like Michael Stipe does these weird things where he bangs on a chair, but it sounds like it comes up through the mic and it sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really good, like when I, in my obsessive, like younger teenager days, when I used to just collect like VHSs. Of these, that's how I'd watch REM videos. Was getting these VHS tape compilations. Um, yeah. This was this was a favorite. Like I watched this, you know, more or less until it wore out. Oh yeah, 
So, um, I just, it's amazing. Like, I don't know. Amazing. Uh, it's a very good choice that they did it in a bunch of different formats. So like, you'll see from one angle here is, uh, you know, here's a high eight, um, uh, from the other angle here, 16 millimeter, like almost nothing was done, um, either in VHS or in, um, 35 millimeter, like a, like an actual pro shot concert would be. So like cutting between those, um, (laughs) makes for some pretty cool effects. Yeah. It's, it's really nice looking. Yeah. Worth taking a look. Um, what's going on with REM in their life? Yeah, at this point? I have decided to to name the section of oh. the notes REM about town. I also, I mean, I just sorry, just to bring this up, this tour that they went on for Green, large portions of it were supported by Robin Robin Hitchcock. Oh, I would shit. have fucking killed to be at that show. Yeah, like because uh, Peter Buck like was like the fifth Egyptian, like he used to play with Robert or the fifth uh, Soft Boys. Like he used to play with Robin Hitchcock mm-hmm. before his solo thing, yeah. which like that makes me want to listen to those old records or look at them and see if like because I, I love uh, the soft boys. Like I like Robin yeah. Hitchcock a lot. I, I, um, I assure you that Peter Buck contributed to one of those at some point. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would have that just makes the show like, man, like, yeah, because I would love to I would love to see Robin Hitchcock. <laughs> it's kind of funny because around this area between this album and the next, they just start becoming musical buddies with people like Robin Hitchcock or uh, people like Rocky Erickson. <laughs> Mm-hmm. it's like or just like yeah we're just gonna have billy ba- uh, billy bragg record his album uh in peter buck's studio like yeah. just these these kind of luminaries of especially just kind of like crunchy progressive alt country um, it's, well, it's specifically yeah. peter buck yeah. like i think peter buck made these connections yeah yeah you know and it, it's a cool thing like because peter buck would just play with anybody so right. if it was just like Hey, you know, somebody says like, man, we need a second guitar on this record. Like Peter Buck just shows up. <laughs> like, it's, it, it, it's like, it's like, he emerges from the wall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, your reflection slowly feeds into him and he steps into, out of a mirror to, to, <laughs> and picks up like a guitar and just starts like he knows the song already. Like, it, like, well, like, it, was, it goes like this. It goes G say no more. Okay. Yep. I got you. Like, yeah, I, I got you. So a G. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh. yeah <laughs> good stuff um so some things that they were doing around this time uh michael stipe was pretty busy uh cool I, I stepped on your your titling this section i'm sorry because oh, i do no. think it's a funny title please yes. say it this is rem about town <laughs> um just things that they were doing um before during and after the recording of uh of this uh of this record so michael stipe was uh he recorded little april showers with natalie merchant which boy that sounds like a Ten Thousand maniac song it's a it's a Disney from a Disney compilation. Yeah, it's like uh, all Disney songs, like mm-hmm. reimagined by all kind of alternative bands, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he also produced for uh, for his sister's band, uh, Hetch Hetchy, which I was not able to uh, not able to find. It's too bad of a band name. It's been struck from <laughs> the internet. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, the whole band kind of worked on the uh, debut album from the Indigo Girls, uh, which is kind of interesting because that's another that's a band I always see sentences uh, you know referenced, but I never really listened to them. Yeah. No. And uh, and unfortunately showed up like kind of too drunk to record on the first day. Yeah. But ultimately got their shit together. Yeah. The next day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Michael Stipe started a uh, video company called C100. And uh, after they kind of flamed out on producing like visual art to accompany music, started actually producing public service announcements, uh, kind of Mm -hmm. in reaction to Ronald Reagan. Um, making it so that uh, producing and airing uh, PSAs was no longer mandatory. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, he found a bunch of people. Like, he did one with KRS-One. Again, a preview of later. Yep. <laughs> um, this is when the uh, the Hindu, Hindu Love Gods record came out. Um, if you haven't listened to the Diggity Duck bundle, our charity bundle, 
uh, 10 bucks uh, for, or however much you want to pay for uh, 10 hours of shows. Um, and the episode of file underwater is about that album, yes. which is not good, but I think the episode is good. I yes. think this album is extremely bad, but I think the episode is fun. So yeah, this was the collaboration with uh, um, REM's Warren. playing members and Warren Zevin. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's no good. They recorded it four years before this, and Warren Zevon was just kind of like, yeah, uh, my career could use a boost. So yeah. <laughs> he, yep. pull, he pulled the release lever, and out it came. Yep. Unleash yeah. the battleship chains. <laughs> um, one of the things that happened here that's kind of sweet is that, uh, you know, and, and in the case for Ari, I'm not being sellout jerks, mm-hmm. is that, uh, you know, they constantly you know, would talk about their uh, their influences. And they always talked about Pylon. That's how a lot of people heard about Pylon, myself included. Mm-hmm. So Pylon uh, ended up getting back together. Like, it was like, these guys really like us. Um, they reunited. They toured with them. They were on a couple of shows mm-hmm. during this tour. And REM let them practice in their practice space. Yeah. And they reunited. Yeah. Um, this was kind of around the time. I wonder if it was linked with uh, the release of Dead Letter Office um, and the, uh, um, the, the the cover of Crazy. Yeah, the Crazy cover? Yeah. Yeah. Could Shrug. Be. Who knows? Um, Peter Buck got married to his first wife, um, uh, who was actually the owner of the 40 watt club, uh, the club where they played a lot of their first shows. Uh, her name was Barry. Um, mm-hmm. yep. And you know, as, as happens, they are then no longer together, but like Peter Buck was like having a really sweet life around Athens here. He had a gigantic house and was building a studio. Like it was, uh, it's again, it's, it's good to see them make good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just Google image searched, uh, Barry Buck. Cause sometimes I'm curious, like when somebody's married to somebody, I just wants to see what they look like. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the first image uh, is her with Snoop Dogg. Oh. So it's it's definitely her. It's Barry Buck and Snoop Dogg hanging out. <laughs> um, it's pretty funny. Fun. The um, Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is uh, right when the REM fan club started, um, which is going to change kind of how we do the show. Um, <laughs> the kind of the things that are available to listen to that are unreleased tracks. Um, they got a little bit more cagey about demos starting with like uh uh, uh, automatic right so it's hard to find demos of things you can still find them sometimes but it's a little bit harder the next album is full of demos yeah but like they're they're moving away from that slowly um we're gonna get lots of demos i'm not i'm not saying that to contract that but the um they started releasing just like more b-sides and then these this fan club singles mm-hmm. so there end up being these kind of like rem rarities that would come out once a year uh, generally around christmas <laughs> and it seems like it's one of those things where i want to go back in time and and do it because they're yeah. really cool they're records you get seven inch records and they're like just the guys kind of fucking around in the studio mm-hmm. usually and doing covers, but some of them are very good. Yes. Um, and these are going to be part of the show going forward. Like we're going to be able to talk about the, uh, the fan club singles. Yeah. And get used to us complaining about Christmas music. Um, Oh yeah. Cause none of them are good. <laughs> they haven't done, they haven't done a good Christmas song. Right. So, uh, yeah. And, and they're just obviously drunk and just kind of like begging on shit. Right. And then pressing it to vinyl because it's for the super fans who like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, who, who like don't care that sounds shitty but they just don't care right right you know so they, they, they um, don't eat out of uh mike mills's hand but then they they also sneak in some really really good covers of course and stuff yeah yeah so let's yeah. talk about the uh about the songs themselves you know we both have professed our affection for this uh for this album uh they have gimmick names for the sides uh, and this is going to be one of the last ones uh that it comes out on uh a medium that has sides like this kind of primarily you know out of time we'll have a cd uh release and so here we are let's cherish this it's separated into into the air side and the metal side and that feels like a little bit of an artifact of them initially wanting to have one side be primarily acoustic while having another side be primarily electric 
Yes, which it was also uh, specifically that's an artifact of Michael Stipe wanting to do an entirely acoustic record. Right. And the rest of the band not being down for that, which foreshadows Bill Berry demanding they make Monster. Yes. Which happens in a few few albums down the road. Um, the uh, Yeah, so the, it begins with the airside um, with uh, Pop Song 89, which is one of, uh, if not my favorite opening track. It's so good. That they've done. <laughs> yeah, I think this this is a really like a bunch of the stuff that's on this record are like. kind of dumb ironic pop songs Mm -hmm. um they're so good though yes like and this is such you see like this is what happens when you're learning to play an instrument Mm -hmm. right is pop song 89 like this is the kind of thing that sounds good because you're not you're doing simpler stuff Mm -hmm. uh and it's it sounds good to you because you're new to it and something that like i mean this is this has been a drum i beat a thousand times but like when people are dismissive of pop music, it drives me crazy. Oh yeah. Because like writing a good pop song is hard, <laughs> like super, super hard. And the kind of the better you get at things, like you, you lose this kind of naivete that makes like good pop music, mm-hmm. you know? So those people who are writing songs for like Taylor Swift and shit are like excellent songwriters. Yeah. Like that, those are good songs. Like you may not like the production. You might not like it, like the lyrics, mm-hmm. you might not even end up liking the actual melodies, but I can assure you as somebody who knows like a little bit about some of this stuff that like, <laughs> They're really well done, and this is like an excellent pop song. This is this is incredibly good. I it just I defy you to not just be instantly in love with this guitar the guitar I, riff around it. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate that it's not at uh, Voice Box. Yeah, because it's like you know I always want to do when I look at REM uh, for karaoke. Like I, this is a song that comes to mind a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> and so you know th- this this could be seen as them taking you know t- taking kind of an ironic shot oh it's called pop song 89 this comes out right before 1989 and some of the interviews are like oh like what if we wrote the last pop song ever you know yeah. like it, it is them kind of playing around with the form and trying to have some of the t- some of this detachment but they are just throwing their back into it entirely yeah um, i love the harmonies on this just the fact that the entire thing is done incredibly tightly together Mm-hmm. yeah cl- <laughs> like close harmonies yeah it's almost uh it's almost doubled <laughs> yeah yeah and that, that's gonna that's very different than the harmony kind of approach they take on out of time right which we'll get to which is much more kind of classic beach boise and not not beach boise like mm. beach boise idaho which is a different yeah, yeah. um but yeah this is uh uh yeah the, the harmonies are very very tight the lyrics here also something that they do in their dumb pop songs i think is get weird accidental profundity <laughs> You know, like, uh, like I think that this is not like the lyrics are not. They're like super simple, right? Right, right. You know, um, should we talk about the weather? Should we talk about the government? But something about how this is uh, kind of presented in this deadpan way, <laughs> like, actually makes it like kind of meaningful and good. Yeah. I think that's stronger in Stand. Yes. Like, I, I think Stand is actually like a really good song lyrically, even though it's super simple and dumb circusy. <laughs> but I think I think that like that's the lyrics of that song are actually very good, um, because they are so. They're like so simple again, like kind of going in with that naivete with instrumentation where it's like so simple that you wouldn't even consider it. (laughs) You know, like when you take things that would be below consideration for lyrics, you can you oftentimes stumble upon really good lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. You know. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah like so this song they 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 cited a door song as a, as a reference hello i love you uh which is about a dude really creeping on a woman yeah uh, just the like, doors well, are gross yeah and I don't, I don't care for them one bit this is uh kind of set up as a dialogue almost where it's one side it's like a, it's like a bob newhart kind of thing of like somebody trying to make small talk <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and you know there's there's some like real classic michael stipe wankery 
where he's uh he talks about the lyrics to this mm-hmm. where he's like you know actually like i think it's it's very deep because people used to be more like weather used to be more important in this country mm-hmm. which is like a, a true statement but is also like a douchey thing to say <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> or, or just kind of like oh okay you know yeah. are you stoned you know like, <laughs> like I, don't, I don't know but uh because the song's not really about that is the reason why it's just right, like a lot yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it doesn't it doesn't need him for this kind of sing-along you know kind of way the um the uh so there's this went through some, this was the third single on the record. I think it would have been a really good, you know, lead single. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised this is not the most popular, like, you know, radio song from the record. Um, the demo for it. So one of the things about the, um, the demos that you can find for green and they're not, you can't find all of them. Um, or I couldn't find all of them is that they have document style production. Yes. So the guitar is so crunchy. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, it sounds exactly like an L seven song. <laughs> Like if you know L seven, like yeah. let's pretend we're dead. That's Jesus. what the the L seven or the, what the demo of Pop Song eighty nine sounds like. Yeah, it'll be in the notes. Like, tell me I'm wrong. Like, listen to it and tell me that's not an L seven. <laughs> I didn't like. I'm, I'm connecting it to the era, but I, I, you, you, you really surprised me with an L seven reference. Like it, it's uh, jung, 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 like I don't know. It sounds yeah. like L seven to me. Yeah, um, yeah, and the they don't know how to sing on it. No, <laughs> so, it's uh like the so the harmonies like they're they're done at, d- at different octaves, which helps them do it do them so tight. The low voice is incredibly high in the mix, uh, yeah. to where it overpowers, and also it is out of key a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, it's you know it's a demo. It wasn't meant for mass consumption. I don't know how they I don't know how they got from there to here. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's um yeah. So there's a there's a B side uh, version of this that uh is acoustic. Yep. That's not really, it's just worth noting. It's, there's nothing really special about it. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like the acoustic version of the one I love. Like, yep, that sure is the song. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the video has tits. Yep. So like as a kid, like I was way into this video cause yeah. I think all these girls are pretty yep. and I like looking at all their boobs. So, <laughs> yeah. so there we go. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's, so the video for this and, uh, obviously go to the notes and check this out. Um, the video directed by, by directed by Michael Stipe, I think, or at least conceptualized yes. it's him dancing with, uh, with, with, with three female dancers. Um, and they're all topless, but they're all dressed in like jester pants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so in the uncensored version, it's just them doing these again, like really simple dances. It looks like something out of stand almost at this kind of uh canted angle that is, uh, you know, shooting down the line at them, not really like focusing on the bare breasts. They're just kind of there. Mm-hmm. I like the censored version for as much as I'm a man who enjoys a breast. Um, I like the censored version because, you know, he sent it to MTV with sensor bars, not only over the women's breasts, but also over his own chest because yeah. a nipple is a nipple. Yes, <laughs> which I which I appreciate as well. Yes, yeah. um, it's a good video. Yeah. Like it's a uh, it's 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 super fun. Yeah, everyone has this weird kind of like affect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I just think these ladies are pretty. Are pretty. I don't know. I like looking at pretty yeah. topless ladies. I think the censored version is funnier. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just I don't get a whole lot of Michael Stipe's nipples. Like, <laughs> I, I you know, no, no, that wasn't that wasn't like a gay panic joke about you getting stuff out of them. I'm just <laughs> no, saying no, about the uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, the second, uh, second song, which is the fourth single, cause they're just packing this, this a side mm-hmm. with singles is another song I really like, which is called get up. Yeah. Um, again, we have more, more tight harmonies. I wanted to save this for here because they're establishing a pattern. Um, they're in major key. Yeah. And that is super refreshing in a huge way. Like both of these are, you know, like they're, they're not leaning on these super down kind of discordant, um, you know, just kind of compositions. Uh, they're, they're both like super bright. 
Um, and this one too, this is uh, one of my favorite differences between the live version and the album version. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I think I wish the album version was closer to the live version where it was 10% faster. Yes. That opening descending chord line just sounds so good a little bit quicker mm-hmm. um, as it yeah. is. But uh, this is a song kind of like roughly about dreams. That is their milieu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also like playing to REM's, you know, usual tricks. Uh, one of the choruses or the bridge, I think, is uh, dreams complicate my life. And then mm-hmm. uh, Mike Mills will come in and say dreams complement my life. Mm-hmm. So, again, just setting up these immediate contradictions. Yeah. Um, there's a bridge for this because they never really figured out what to do in the middle of the song, um, which you can hear because it's just, again, a simple song, mm-hmm. musical naivete. Um, Bill Berry had a dream where they set up 12 music boxes. Uh, so they sent everybody who not was 11, in the studio. Not 13, 12. Yeah, that's the specific quote. It's really weird. Um, but then sent everybody in the studio like, hey, we need music boxes. And then all these people went to like their grandparents' house and shit mm-hmm. to grab music boxes. And then they set them up to play in this middle section that like, I was like, oh, that was a lot of effort. Like this was born from a dream and was people <laughs> making special trips and all these things for like this. Like it, it doesn't sound that different than one music box. Right. Like just... <laughs> Here's the secret. One music box doesn't sound very good. No, no, it, 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 they're already pretty cacophonous. So like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it does sound like a, like a studio wankery kind of thing, which yeah. it's, it's fine. Um, yeah. they're, 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 they're going to do that. That's what the, like, that is the mode that they're in. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. This is, this is a little bit too slow of a song. I, I'm not sure if, um, this is true. I saw it on Wikipedia, but never in, uh, but never in the books that I, uh, that, that I read, uh, that this is a song about Mike Mills who liked to sleep late. I like to think not, of not like I, Peter Buck sleeping late, not Mike Mills. What? I, I mean, it feels like Peter Buck would be the one to sleep. Oh, late. P- P- Peter Buck seems like he would be the sleepy boy because of the parties. I like to yeah. think of Mike Mills just being a sleepy boy. Um, I mean, I like to think of him as being sleepy in a Snorlax sense, but I bet you he's up at 7 a.m. Like, I don't know, making coffee and like reading, you know, reading the comics. <laughs> yep. You know? <laughs> oh, Dennis the Menace. Yeah. It's like, what do you get? Oh, look at look at this. Uh, the family circus kids on the way through town again, <laughs> and his ghost grandpa is chasing him. Yeah, yeah with an axe. Like, what happened his, to ghost grandpa? His, his dead grandpa wants to catch him. Let me trace the dotted line with the tip of my finger. Yeah. Ooh, now he's gone through another yard. Um, <laughs> see, see, I, I just, I, I want Michael Stape or not Michael Stape, Mike Mills to be a sleepy boy because I'm a sleepy boy. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want to yeah. feel like it's all okay. But you don't sleep then. No, I like you, you you wake up pretty early. Like you're sometimes we'll be recording. You're like, man, I slept in. I was slept in until like ten thirty. Yeah, like that's not sleeping in, bro. Uh, I suppose that's, that's, still, that's the AM. <laughs> I guess that is the AM. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, um, yeah. No. I don't know. Um, the video for this uh, looks like something that would be uh, production designed to be on the TV in the uh, the background of a movie. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Like oh, they're watching a music video. It is it, it is frantically animated abstract images. Uh, doesn't do too much to, for me because if you see a ten second loop of it, it feels like you've seen all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not particularly great. Right. The video we're gonna get into some good videos, but that's not it. No. Um, you are the everything mm-hmm. is the uh, third song, and this is much more like a traditional REM song, I think. Yes. Um. Yeah, they're kind of back in that minor key. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. Yeah. Mode. i like this song an awful lot yeah this um, is really good i think the, uh, the 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 lyrics are kind of heartbreaking in a lot of ways especially talking about sleeping in the back seat and talking you know talking about this uh this the, this older relative 
um, lyrically, it's uh, it's it's incredibly powerful. This is also the first kind of appearance of a mandolin driven song on the record. Yeah, yeah, and it works really well for it. Yeah, um, that like falling asleep in the back seat thing is is a universal experience, and like yes. you know, and he's like Michael Stipe has talked about people coming up to him being like, I can't believe somebody wrote a song about that because it's a, it's a weird <laughs> thing that there's not uh, that I think are, like most people have experience with, but is not talked about very much. Yeah, you know. Here's the scene. You're in the backseat lying down. The windows wrap around the sound of travel in the engine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Just, uh, it's, it, it, is a, it is a powerful sense memory. And it could be trite to just evoke that thing that is universal, but I think that it is delivered. Um, there's something about the way his voice cracks in this song that is uh, that, that I think is especially raw. Yeah. You know, like, and, you know, I'm, I'm scared for this world. I'm scared for me. Like, it's really like, you know, it's very direct. And so this is, this is a very pretty song. Yeah. With the exception of the line and you're drifting off to sleep with your teeth in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like that. I, I like, it's, I like it too, but it's, it's not, it's not direct and stuff. It does feel like a filler line. Like you have to fill, uh, fill syllables a little bit, you know, but yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, next stand is the, uh, the kind of the big single from the record. It was the second single, but I think this is the, again, the song that I feel like everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, because everybody um, has seen Get a Life starring Chris Elliott. Yes. Yeah, which I mean I wish they had. <laughs> yeah. The show's very funny. It's, it's um, really good. <laughs> they um the anecdote in the book is that they licensed this to them just based on the title. Yep. Like, <laughs> they like, thought oh, Get a, a Life was a funny thing. That's a really good name for a thing. Green yeah. stamp. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um uh this is an incredibly simple song. If you're not being charitable, you could call it insipid. Um, if you are, uh, kind to it, like I am, I actually, I really enjoy this song. Uh, you could say that it is, uh, the, the, like that it is playful and actually like really kind of deceptive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that kind of like those fakey, uh, fake profundity thing where like this, uh, if you start thinking of this in terms of it being about presentness, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, those lyrics that are kind of, again, below consideration, like you wouldn't think of like, just, you know, be where you are. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's like, like a good thing. Like that's a meditation yeah. thing, you know, that's, it's like something that's like, and I don't know if that's necessarily what, what he's going for, but mm-hmm. it reminds me of the same kind of things that happen in like guided meditation. Yeah. Like your feet are on the ground, like recognize your space. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that you're in and like that being a, uh, a kind of a powerful idea. Yeah. If yeah. it's, if it's okay for the Beatles to say, uh, that, uh, he's got feet down below his knees, you can talk about your, like these guys can talk about your feet being on the ground. <laughs> totally and yeah. the beatles can just say uh you know my name look up the number for like <laughs> it's like a really long time yeah uh, then this is also okay yeah but but then like embedded in this song that is literally just about directions and your position relative to them they have something uh they have a line if wishes were trees the trees would be falling yeah oh my god man yeah <laughs> yep, yep. it's uh it's in yeah, this is this is a this is a real good song. Yeah, super catchy. I, I, lo- I um, just I love the, uh, the 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 circus like almost calliope or organ that's happening in the back mm-hmm. of this. The like the guitar line, like they call this like a, like a really like stupid simple guitar line, but um, no, it's actually like really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine and good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a demo that is the slow dirge because oh you know God. when you hear stand, you want to hear like stand in the place where I, you like this like that part i i almost want to think that like the the video that you sent over to me because gary does most of the most of the research for this um but, like i want to think that that was just on an incredibly stretched out tape yeah that, w- that would be great if that were true yeah however it's too in key oh, it's, it's, it's like the the guitar is in the right is playing the right chords oh man 
Um, yeah, it's, it's really rough. Yeah. Uh, it sounds it's like it would be a really shitty way to do it. It's like some high school band doing an ironic version of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what if we took this happy song and made it sad? Yeah. What if we took Imagine and played it in minor key? We're a perfect oh, circle. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, but this, but this, this is a great song. Uh, Bob Mackie, Karaoke Standard. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this while, is, uh, while, while, while drunk, I have, I have, I have, uh, uh, imposed as the background vocal because it is one of those ones that, uh, uh, like the, the next line will overlap on the other one. Yeah. It also has a, a terrible guitar solo with wah pedal <laughs> because they Which, decided, like, they decided to just really lean into it. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's make something stupid. And then later this is, uh, one upped in the next album where they do shiny happy people. Where there's a part where like Michael Stipe heard that and he was like, we have a song that makes Stan seem like, you know, the 1812 <laughs> orchestra or something like that. Like, yeah. And that that is a very funny uh, bit of self-awareness to just yeah. go for it. My uh my favorite detail about this song is the fact that it changes key twice. Again, that, like, oh, that, yeah. that, like that is a, that is a stupid pop song kind of convention, you know, just let's do the last. Up, uh, yeah, let's just modulate up for the last chorus. Uh, <laughs> they do two choruses uh, on the way out and they just go up, I think, a half step and then they go up a full step. Yeah, um, I, I'm just, you know, call me simple if you want. I really like uh, false stops in songs, especially yeah. when you look at something like the Eagles of Death, of Death Metal, which in one song have like three false stops, I think. Um, and also like them leaning into that kind of standard. It's like, yeah, we're just going to do it twice. Come on. It's the, uh, it's the illusory wall behind the illusory wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, the video features some dorks. <laughs> um, like, if you want to see some real, like the kind of dork we don't really get anymore. <laughs> that like, dorks. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like we've updated dorks. Yeah. Um, and these or are the new stream now. These are the old dorks. Yeah yeah uh it's just like this is like it's like when you watch those uh those everything is terrible videos and you see like 80s guys for video dating services and shit and it's like they don't, they don't make that kind of dork anymore no that's, that's no. these kind of dorks yeah, yeah. no i would just say if if uh if if mike mills walked into a time machine from 1989 into today he would be drowning in in in, in pussy juice like just <laughs> probably true yeah just um, like man, like I so normal. <laughs> so normal. I, I gotta get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's a bunch of dorks doing like a like like a very you know basic like almost you would imagine this being a like a, like a nineteen sixties you know dance instructional song. Yeah, everybody do the funky stipe or so whatever. You know, whatever like that. <laughs> yeah, they are kind of stipe dam- uh, dancing, yeah. especially with um, holding their elbows toward their body and then just doing like a forearm rotate. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a real real state move. Um, it's a it's a fine video. It's kind of goofy, but it's yeah. not super strong. The only time the band shows up is they're doing a uh, monkey style slow motion jump over a ditch. <laughs> I love that it just cross dissolves between them as they complete the motion. Yeah, it's like an animorphs cover. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you imagine if Michael Stipe turned into Bill Berry? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> there, there's not enough biomass in Michael Stipe to make the hair to make the to, yeah. He'd be hollow, <laughs> uh, like a chocolate bunny. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Next up, this uh, world leader pretend. Which, when I was a young man, this was my favorite REM song ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I, I I still love this song, but I, I may burn myself out on it or something. You know, it, my taste have changed a little bit. But this used to be my favorite REM song. It's it's incredibly lyrics first. Um, yes. In a, in a way, like I was I was very surprised to hear you say that. But people's tastes change, and the way they engage with the music changes. Um, mm-hmm. It's musically satisfying, but it is very much a bed for Michael Stipe to kind of tell the story and to and to lay out these kind of insecurities with the way with the way things are going. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, musically, it is no you know it's no it's no slouch. Right. So it's not like you know uh, uh, 
is a disaster there. This was, I think the reason why this appealed to me so much is because it was the first REM song where they had the lyrics printed on the, the liner notes. Yep. Um, I remember reading about it and the reason why, uh, was because, uh, he uses the word raise in two different ways. Um, cause you raise a wall like, like an Amish person might, and then you raise a wall, like somebody's destroying a wall might. Yeah. R-A-Z-E. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on and how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, uh, I think this is a really good song. I still like the, the lyrics, which are uh, like disaffected in a way I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, and are very like clinical. It's like, uh, notes from a court trial or something like that. Like <laughs> I, 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 I decree a stalemate. Yeah. You know, he's just decreeing things and declaring things. And like <laughs> when you start, I, I've talked about this a lot on the show and other shows where we talked about music, but when lyrics start doing those conventions of kind of like, like meta conventions, mm-hmm. like say, you know, like talking like you're at a, fo- a podium mm-hmm. when you're, when you're doing a lyric, like yeah. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. And, and not to, not, not, not to swipe, you know, some, some points from the next episode, but like that is something that is definitely um, a thing that I love about losing my religion. Consider this, mm. consider this. Like, it, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. it is a rhetorical argument that is made to a third person who is not present. Yes. And yeah. and that come up, uh, cummed up. <laughs> that, that came up, uh, that got all cummed up when we did. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, we cummed up the works. <laughs> the, the, we cummed up the works in the last episode of Try This. We talked about uh, Dragon Slayer. Yes. Which features a lot of that kind of thing. God, and that's just I, a, a lyrical device I really I listened love. to Dragon, I, I listened to Dragon Slayer three times on my recent trip back home to Mansfield. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent record. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I love, um, I, I guess I, it feels like a bridge to me. doesn't seem to smart to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like a bridge to me, mm-hmm. but the, uh, but this is my mistake. Um, let's make it good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, am I, am I um, part of the chorus, like on the lyrics. Like guitar on the bridge. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Think that just, yeah. Phew, it's like, yeah, it's very, my heart. it's very good. Yeah. Like this is an excellent, excellent song. Yeah. Um, you know, probably, probably like, you know, objectively the best song on the record even if it's not like my favorite like it's i think a, the song is really good it's incredibly well constructed it probably because it does feel like they are working in their uh in, in their old kind of style it feels very feels very rem which you know is a meaningless statement but it's one that we make an awful lot here so yeah 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 you fill in the mortar you fill in the harmony yeah very good very yeah. poetic like yeah. like the every everything that i read was like oh my god document is michael stipe at his lyrical best it's yeah like, no, no no that's that's actually him at his worst actually <laughs> well actually well actually uh, the thing you like is bad oh no we're it's but the thing we like is good um yeah <laughs> uh, this side ends with a, a song called the wrong child yeah um which i also like oh no um, I like it a, oh gary this like, is oh, my hiccup. really yeah i really oh, don't the, like oh. this um, I, I actually found my hiccup in looking at the thing. Um, this is this is definitely not my hiccup. I think that this has that kind of like there are weird direct vulnerabilities in these lyrics that I like a lot. Okay. Um, and I like when Michael Stipe stretches his voice past cracking, mm. uh, which happens uh, like at the end of the song. And I think that's a, a really, really good moment. I think that like the I'm not supposed to be like this. That's a universal idea. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as a kid, like I, this is not how I'm supposed to be, but it's OK. And then the OK question mark that comes after that is as good a couplet as he's done. Yeah. Like, like that's very effective to me. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make it like my favorite, mm-hmm. but it, it's redeems it for me. Yeah. I wish this wasn't so discordant. Like I get a little bit of a nine, nine problem with it where like, I mm-hmm. understand, like I understand it just doesn't listen well to me mm-hmm. for, for, for me. It, uh, it just, uh, the, there's something about the looseness of the instrumental harmonies and the vocal harmonies that just, they're they're enough out of norm to make it actually really hard to like look at the genuinely sweet lyrics 
you know, like mm. as a poem about how awful it is to be, you know, a differently abled child. Like, yes, the, like that, that is an incredibly powerful idea. His presentation of it um, is incredibly good. I just don't think that it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it fit. doesn't work as a song. Yeah. 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 I, I gotcha. Like, I mean, I, I, I understand that. Yeah. It's not my favorite song on the record or anything, but it's something where just the redemptive aspects of it are stronger than the the negative aspects for me yeah i mean so i yeah, I, I know i know what you're saying better than radio free europe um the defining song of aria <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'd say this is like 10 radio for europe yes um yeah i mean yeah. i think i think the big issue with this is that it has um and you say this about a later song but i think this just has too much musically in common with uh the the you are the everything the wrong child and hair shirts yeah of this album those three songs that kind of form a piece mm-hmm. um it's a little bit too much to have three of them. This is the one I would drop as well. Yeah. Uh, if I were dropping them, but like, Mm -hmm. it's still, you know, I still like that. It's there. It's an 11 song album. Like it's not like, it doesn't feel bloated to me. Oh, true. True. Yeah. yeah. I just, it like, I was, (laughs) you know, on going back and listening to this because again, you know, in just in the past, like, let's say mm, 15 years, you you know, I've stopped listening Mm -hmm. to REM albums in full until this uh, show started up and just kind of picked and, picked and chose between yeah. stuff and i was super delighted on my on my re-listen through this to see like like oh there's no rough patches up to this point and then you get this and it's like oh no oh no what yeah. are you doing yeah it does it does it definitely doesn't feel like catastrophic to me no no but but i mean i get i get what you what you mean um when we talk about the disabled kid that's a, there's an author named chris nolan who wrote a book called under the eye of the clock yes which was about being a uh physically disabled and uh, yeah, but I think it, again, the lyrics I think are kind of universal. Yes. With that, um, this is the last air song, mm-hmm. and we switch over to the metal side to talk about another famous REM song that I feel like a lot of people probably know, which is uh, Orange Crush. Yes, uh, this is a transplant from Document. <laughs> yes, and it, it's very clearly so. Like we've heard them play it on the tour, you know, and it sounds like a Document song to me. Yes, even like you know, not just the subject matter, but the but the presentation, the way you know, the instrumentation, like it it doesn't feel like it fits in here. It's not yeah. a bad. It's not a bad song. I, I, I like the song just fine. Um, yeah, Orange Crush is fine. Yeah, like the the chorus. I didn't realize how like muddy and weird the chorus was until I played it on Rock Band. Yep. <laughs> and realizing like, oh, this is really nothing. Yeah. Like this this High this part doesn't have a like. Yeah. Like this doesn't have a spine. No. Like you lost your spine. You lost <laughs> your Orange Crush. Like it's, <laughs> you know, like it's just this weird like. There's not really a through line to that middle part, and it's kind of cool, but it it's still like makes it suffer as a song to me. Mm-hmm. And then the marching part of it, the actual like military samples feel really dated and shitty to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I could do without the, you do it all, you do it all, you do it all. Like, like, yeah. like, him, like huh, 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 uh. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the, yeah, the marching stuff, which is like, I don't know. It, it just, um, it, it just feels like I watched full metal jacket in 1986. And then I wrote, the, I wrote this in 1987. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and I just heard, uh, that's the sound of the men working on the chain gang or something like that. Yeah. 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 But like, I love the drums like the Like the drums on this are, are really great. Um, the guitar mm-hmm. line in this, especially the solo or what passes for a solo, you know, in this mm-hmm. as, an, as an REM song without wah, um, like everything about this aside from the vocals, I think is really good. And even the chorus, like the, not, not, not the chorus, but the, um, you know, follow me, don't follow me. Like that call and response, I think is good. Like that is a, that is a good kind of adaptation of the military call and response. It is just when they get hyper literal and kind of a little bit too cute that, I, that it yeah. wears out its welcome for me. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it's like one, like, you know, the, 
the verses of this are good. I think the chorus needs more and the bridge is bad. Yeah. Like it just kind of like doesn't add up too much for me. Um, the video is also very direct. Like what if there are people preparing for war? What if there were children next to them? Yes. You know, okay, Kojima, child soldiers, I get it. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, okay. let's move on, please. Yeah. Um, if there if there's anything that's cool about it, they just wholesale lift cinematic uh, techniques from uh, from Apocalypse Now, specifically in revealing faces through opening up lights, yeah. or like having like having a face, um, or you know, somebody move into a light out of shadow, and it just kind of reveals them like they're coming out of water. Like that is cool and good. That is an interesting visual technique. But like, it is of that stripe of REM videos. Um, that tells a story, but it is just like full on montage theory. What if thing was next to thing? Yeah. Which again, the, the things are just too direct, yeah. you know? Um, the next song. So this is my, my loser for oh the album God. is turn it's you inside so, out. It's so dated. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Th- this, this is pretty rough. I actually like the, you know, the, uh, and he does this in orange crush too, but live he sings us through a megaphone which is a sound i always really like mm-hmm. like i actually love the distortion of, of megaphone yeah well you're just, you're just um, a big fan of mr show i am i am <laughs> a, i'm one of the big fan of the monsters of megaphone crooning um <laughs> the uh but this is just like the backing vocals like the part i don't think there's like rem that i mean there is because there's a radio song but it sounds as dated as the like I believe in what you do. I believe in watching you. You know, like, that, like it's just like musically dated yeah. in this weird way. It's not even the production. It's just like a melody and backup vocal that wouldn't happen no. in 1989. Like, I don't know. Like it feels like it started dated in this weird way. Yeah. Um, the, the, the guitar on this has some kind of reverb there. There is something that is done to the guitar and also to the snare like how the how the snare is mic'd that says like i i can tell exactly when this was produced yeah (laughs) and it it just it's that weird like every once in a while when michael stipe is trying to be badass he gets a melodic in a way that i don't care for yeah you know and just the chorus this like ah 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 you know it's just like it's so everything is too close to each other that the melody is not very dynamic Mm -hmm. you know and that just is never gonna do too much for me yeah. Uh, um, you know, it reminds me of later like it's, it's the same way that like I feel like the chorus of like bang and blame is mm. just not dynamic enough. Yeah. You know, that's just yeah. a move. Like there's just not a space between those notes to be a melody really. Yeah. It's just like a chant. You know, and and that's less interesting to me. Yeah. Or less you know, less appealing to my ears, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And that that's just a place where we differ, but we can both agree, like turn you inside out, like <laughs> the only reason that this isn't my like okay this is the, the this is a this is the bad this is the worst um is that it does function a little bit as a song in a way that the wrong child does not but like it's pretty close you know they're, they're mm. just kind of competing competing virtues and advantages that set each other off in in a way that leans more towards this for me I, for me it is just it is like a, they're both kind of like experimentally produced and one of them is an interesting failure and one of them is an uninteresting failure yeah this is this is really plotting as well yeah you know um, and yeah and a lot of that's just my sensibilities like i'm not gonna like a, a plod chant very much yeah um, no matter what. and just it, it doesn't feel so <laughs> you know again the lyrics feel a little bit uh like a like a cast off from, from from document you know i could turn you inside out by doing nothing or uh but with what i choose not to do or something mm-hmm. like that like it just it just feels like you know, and this is confirmed by the fact that Michael Stipe when he would perform this live would get up and say this is de- you know this is dedicated Exxon Mobil or something like yeah. That. It's just like I just I don't I don't know what you're saying. And also, I, Michael Stipe was incredibly frustrated that people thought that this was a song about fucking. Yeah, which is <laughs> which I mean, gross. You know, it, it's, it reminds me a lot of like uh, Kurt Cobain, like in the horror he felt when he like 
those like people, those kids did like a sex assault and saying rape me mm-hmm. to it, you know, and like, and how gross that is. And it's just like that. I, I'm sympathetic to the idea of having your work. You know, it's like the Pepe problem, right? Like right, we right. don't own things once we make them. Shitheads will just take everything and ruin it, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not like this was not super good to begin with, I think. Yeah. So, um, but again, there's 11 songs in the album. I don't think you could really do without it. And for a quote unquote metal side, um, we have like two rocker numbers, a mid tempo dirge that rocks and then two <laughs> other super softy songs. Yeah. So the, the metal side is actually the thing that kind of didn't come through on here. So I could see them kind of needing it for the theming. Yeah. I could see that. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> hair shirt is next. Um, I love this song. Mm-hmm. I think this is, this is, uh, I, again, like in just those couplets that I think are like for a romantic idea. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm not the type of dog that could keep you waiting. I think is one of like my favorite couplets Yeah. as like a, you know, kind of abstract, but also very sweet sentiment. Yeah. To me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, talking about like, Oh, I could hang my hair shirt or, you know, you know, <laughs> feed me banks of light and hang your hair shirts on the lowest rung. Like, you know, like that, that a hair shirt is a kind of obscure idea. Like it exists mostly as a euphemism, you know, yeah. for like something that you carry around to punish yourself. Like I think lyrically, this is, this is a, a, an incredibly vulnerable song. Yeah. Yeah. Just that, that kind of like, um, subsistence to, uh, to, to, to another person, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's really strong for that. Like, I really love this song. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a fave. This is out of the, this, uh, this trio of these kind of, you know, traditional REM songs are on this record Yeah, is my fave. Yes. Um, Your yeah. sure is very good. Musically, it's a little, it, it, it lies a little flat for me, um, especially because it does feel like it restarts in a couple of places. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard to structure out. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, it's like a, you know, two and a half minute, three minute song and it doesn't, it really just kind of does the same part kind of moving back and, you know, the same part that kind of just kind of develops in a weird way. You know, it doesn't have like a distinct choruses really. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I remember California. Um, I like the song a lot. Uh, this mm-hmm. is super menacing REM, um, you know, which I'm always going to be kind of down for. Um, and I love just like, again, playing these super low notes on the guitar and just when Peter Buck is kind of infringing on Mike Mills's space with the bass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that song. Um, I think that it's, it's kind of a weird, like, I think it's made with the uh, musical chorus. Mm-hmm. kind of thing like after he does the i remember this and then the riff come kind of comes back mm-hmm. the uh the, like the low guitar riff i'm into yeah um it, it like to me it sounds like uh like he's taking cues from like angelo badlamanti or something like that like the mm-hmm. uh like this sounds a little bit like like extra menacing twin peaks music to me mm. yeah yeah that, i mean that, that's a pretty good comparison yeah. Like for me, this is this is a mid middling song yeah, on the record. Yeah. It's like not my either, favorite. Either great. Sure. Or, yeah. I'm happy they it, didn't end on it because it doesn't it doesn't fit in with most of the most of the album actually. No, because it's 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 kind of them trying to do that darkness that they did with the uh, the document castoffs mm-hmm. on this record, but like it's a different kind of dark. It's like a dark that I think I think that actually what this song does well um, is done so much better in uh, country feedback. Um, and the next album. Mm-hmm. So like, this is one of the very few REM songs where I feel like I can point to an, a song that does what it tries to do and just does it so much better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so, like, this is still good. I don't skip it when I'm listening to it, but yeah. you know, I, country feedback is a more successful attempt at the idea. I think Yeah, country feedback is amazing. I, I look at this song and I think this obviously would have come from fables like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and not just because it talks about geography and what grows in places. Um, but uh, like looking at it, it's like if they had written this five years earlier, it really would have, you know, popped on that album, I think. 
Yeah. Even though Fables, like, I think that's true, but I also think that the dark stuff on Fables is like, and one of the things when we revisited that Mm -hmm. is it's more dynamic than it initially sounds. Yes. Right? So, like, it would have been produced differently that I maybe would have liked the Fables version a little bit more. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, if they had added the kind of strings and had some little bits of, like, because, you know, as good as Feeling Gravity's pull is, like, the triumphant moment where the spring, like, the strings kind of break out of the, you know, the depths Mm -hmm. at the end is, like, a really great moment. And I think the song kind of just doesn't do that. Right which I would have liked this to break out of its thing a little bit. Yeah. You know, um, it's still good. Like mm-hmm. this is still a good song, but um, I would have appreciated that a little bit more. And it's mm-hmm. still, it's again, it's those I statements. Those just kind of like real basic declarative. Like I remember this, yeah. this is a thing that was there. Like, yeah. you know, which is something that Michael Stapp had avoided doing for years and years, but he, you know, has started doing, you know, more now. Yes. Um, you know, like actually like he never wanted anything to be in the first or second person avoiding I and you. And that is kind of peppered all over this. Yeah. And he just kind of stopped that. Yeah. Um, and this ends with an untitled track. Um, it's not quite a classic hidden track. Right. You know, like it doesn't show up on the liner notes, but it does show up on the actual tape and it showed up on the, the disc. Right. Um, it never had a title, but it, it showed that it was there. So it's not completely mm-hmm. a hidden song. Right. Um, uh, this is fun. There's not an awful lot to like recommend it as far as like a hook that comes out. There are interesting production stories um, that happen mm-hmm. because like Peter Buck plays drums on this again, them getting out of their comfort zones. He only plays it because the part that he directed um, <laughs> that he directed Bill Barry to play uh, was so bad and on drummer like that Barry couldn't play it correctly. Yeah. Again, that theming of musical naivete. Yes. Like for this record, because this is like this is a good song. This is a sweet yeah, kind yeah. of camp campfire. Yeah, it's, it's it's got this uh, call response to it that is that, that that is really cool. And it's a very positive song as well. It's like, hey, even though stuff is bad, like hopefully this music or any kind of art can make you feel better. You, you know? know, and, and that was we didn't really talk about that, but Michael Sipes set out to do that. Yes, with this album, like the idea was to make an uplifting album. You know, after Document, right? So this is probably the most clear thing that is mm-hmm. you know related to that. Um. Yeah, and it's it's a very sweet song. There's not a whole lot to say. It's very simple. Yeah, I was talking him, a... like d- directly. The subject is you know Michael Stipe or the main character of the song speaking to somebody and saying like, "Hey, you know, take care of this person while I'm away. You know, yeah, hold her and keep her strong while I'm away from here. Yeah, yep. hold him and you know, and yeah, very very sweet. It's very good. Um, it's a good yeah. album closer. Like I'm happy it didn't close. <laughs> I remember California. Yeah, oh yeah, and so it's a real good album too. Yeah, like um, do you, let's uh, do you want to do first and worst? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my worst is going to be um, that's going to be the uh, wrong child. Yeah, the wrong child. There we go. Yeah, yeah. So we yeah we already kind of did worst. Yes. Um, um, man, my my firsts are actually it's it's really hard uh, to pick because it might be like a tie or something approaching a tie between um, "You're the Everything" and "Pop Song '89." Yeah. Yeah. I I mean I like standing off a lot, but just with these first, I try not. I I don't really want to go for the most obvious thing. Like hints on out of time, I'm probably not going to say losing my religion is the first, even though that song is a is a ridiculous triumph on yeah. actually revisiting it. Yeah, it's it's so like, amazing. There's a, there's a reason why that song is as, as successful as it is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. And so like I think that uh, depending on the mood I'm in, like if it if it's so my my first like my instinct first would be pop song '89. Um, and then my like non instinct first, like if I'm in like a lyric mood, like it would be hair shirt. Yeah. Um, the, I, I love, uh, uh, the, um, you're the everything. The, you are, uh, not you're the everything, the, um, world leader pretend, mm-hmm. um, is that the, that's the other one that you said, right? No, like, the, yeah. the other one was you are the everything. Oh, yeah. There, yeah. Um, I love world leader pretend, mm-hmm. uh, as well though. Um, but it's a little bit long 
for me. Like it's a yeah. five and a half minute song. And I think that it gets its point, you know, it, it just meanders a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. So it'd be one of those two things. Yeah. Um, but as far as like big singles from this, I think they're both in agreement. The pop song 89 is the winner. Oh yeah. And it's criminal that that is not like, you know, like on the radio <laughs> still. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's really good. It is hard to decide because it's a good record. Like, it, it, yeah, the batting average is very good. <laughs> it, it it really is. It's not as flashy, you know, as uh, as as some of the albums that we talked about or or will talk about. You know, like yeah. the like the highest highs are not that much higher than the mids. You know, I think that the, the not the highest highs on this are not as high as the highs boy, are not as high as the highest highs on uh, Life Search Pageant. Yeah, but the the mids on this are about as high as you know the highs on document yes with pot with the possible exception of like it's the end of the world as we know it right right you know for me you know at least for my money like it is uh this is just such a better album than an album mm-hmm. uh and just the, the idea that when it came out and people just being like yeah this is not critically very good and you guys sold out and suck mm-hmm. now it's like man you fuckers heard document like i don't know what to, <laughs> like, are you actually listening to this yeah or like, <laughs> you know or were you happy that that was the road that they that they reached the the, the, yeah. the furthest extent on yeah. yeah yeah and for me it is just such a it, you know, if, if I was listening to this in real time, you know, if I was like coming out, these albums are coming out and I was listening to them, this would just feel like a, oh man, like this would be my Miyazaki's back moment. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Talking, you know, talking just, about uh, the Dark Souls series. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. um, there's lots of weird B-sides and rarities. Yes. Uh, for this. And I did my best to get all of them. Um, I didn't. Yes. The, uh, there are references to lots of songs that I couldn't find recordings of, mm-hmm. and there are weird, uh, bootleg sites and stuff that have them that require you to sign up for an account or like, they're like, you know, do it through this downloading service. Yeah. You can do the seven hour download, or you can give us all your information <laughs> for the three minutes. Super slam. Yep. And <laughs> so, uh, I did not do that. Yeah. So yeah, like we we didn't see fit to uh, infect our computers by going to look at those, but there is still so so much when it comes to these demos and uh, and the audios and such. We've already talked about some of those, like the strange demos for uh, for Stand. Mm-hmm. Um, those exist, and they're not very uh, very advised. I think. No, no, I, I'm glad that I didn't go on to like bootleg.net and download a virus to get them. Right. You know, I just I'll just find them in U- and YouTube. A bunch of those will be in the the show notes. Um, we didn't get all of them, but we're going to talk about the ones that we can. Man, you know, you're not even beating Dark Eater Medir, and now yes. you're not even downloading these songs. <laughs> yes. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> there, are, there are four songs that are very specific, uh, also rands that they didn't do for this. They didn't have, uh, you know, didn't write lyrics for. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to find uh, two of those. Yep. Um, one of them is called Title, which uh, that's is that a working title? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't bet, know. I bet you it is. Yeah. Um, and this actually, uh, I think it is uh, was played live. Yes. Um, for them. Uh, all of the recordings that exist of this are very bad. So it's hard to tell yes. if this is Stipe or a Stipe alike. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it is Stipe. Yeah. So I, I think, I think this is legit. Um, I'm not totally sure, but I think so. It might not be though. It's kind of tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. Um, but yeah, this is not, uh, not, not particularly good. Um, they said it was too REME and I don't know if I think that's really what it is. I think it's just needed a lot more time in the oven. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's um, uh, it sounds like REM doing their um, doing their Gang of Four impression a little bit. Um, yeah. And there are parts of it, especially, uh, you know, in, in the course of the song, that sounds actually pretty similar to uh, Orange Crush a little bit. Yeah. So it's possible that they maybe harvested some of that um, to bring it forward. Like they were playing this in 1987, so it might have been developed around the same time. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, what's kind of more interesting, and I, I didn't put this in the notes I sent you, Cole, because I didn't realize it until I was preparing to record. Okay. Um, the other one of those ones I found, this uh, Great Big, that's that song. It's like, you know, that kind of funk mm-hmm. song. Um, there is a studio version of that that is uh, one of the B-sides for Out of Time. That's like the one non-album track that's the B-side demo. Uh-huh. That's like untitled. So they were working on that song from this point forward as well. Yes. A song called Great Big. Um, but there's, so there's the, the shitty like version that'll be in the show notes here, but there is a studio recorded version of that. So I got pretty far in the process. Okay. Well, yeah. Before it was uh, discarded, which is, uh, unfortunate because it's not very good. <laughs> I don't think. No, which, which is fortunate or unfortunate. I think it's fortunate that it didn't see the light. It didn't. Yes. Okay. Fortunate that it, didn't, it was drowned in a river at birth. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just like, you know, I can, I can give them a pass on you can't get there from here. Um, because that was, I don't know, aping something earlier. Uh, you listen to this instrumental version, and it sounds like them trying to be Red Hot Chili Peppers a little bit. Um, yeah, it's you can just imagine the sight vocals that would go over it. <laughs> I just like, you know, I mean, it's a little... <laughs> like, no. Um, and this is actually kind of an interesting thing, because this has happened as we've moved forward. Um, since uh, there were a couple songs in Life's First Pageant, we talked about um, some of those also-rans that should have been on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, as they move forward, the things that don't make it on the album feel more like they shouldn't have made it on the album. Yeah. As opposed to earlier on, where I was like, "Man, I wish they had done," you know, if a version of that. If you, I'm going to be very upset. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> if you is one of them. Like, yeah. <laughs> I would have subbed that in for several songs on those first couple albums, you know. Yeah. Um, but or like that beat or something like that. Like these, yeah. you know, these studio demos. I think were like better songs and some of the stuff that ended up on the record. Now they're, I think they're getting smarter about what they put on the record and what they don't. So, like, the things that feel like B-sides end up being B-sides. The things that, you know, shouldn't be anywhere, really, don't end up anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's only through, like, archaeology and bootlegging that you can find it at all. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to hold it against them. Like, they they developed it. They played around. You know, good mm-hmm. songs are made on the backs of, you know, thousands of these. Yes. <laughs> you know, the fact that they committed them to tape should not be held against them for however uh, not great, you know, however not great, great big is. Yeah. 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 Um, they, so I, I kind of mixed up. So when you sent these over, Gary, I wasn't sure where the delineation between fan club singles and oddities, uh, um, that we're, we're, we're in now in a section of, uh, B sides, uh, B sides. Yes. B sides up through deck the halls. Okay, cool. So um, this is uh these are B side covers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of these, uh, is an Iggy pop cover, which it is very strange to hear Michael Stipe try and do an Iggy pop song. Yep. Um, oh yeah. Baby, baby, baby. <laughs> Uh, we want some. We want some. Like, like, I didn't say Fred Snyder. I said Michael Stipe. Come on. Well, he he sings that line like that. That yeah, we want some thing yeah, is very it's... Fred Schneidery. <laughs> yeah, you're oh. you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, but just like this super creepy, um, you know, Iggy Pop again doing this Doors thing of like, oh yeah, yeah, like, like I'm Iggy Pop, I'm sexy, I'm not sentient beef jerky. Don't worry, <laughs> you know, like I'm. I am human. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm not a mask from Fury Road. I'm actually a person. <laughs> Don't be scared of me, young female. Human, you know, like yeah, it's him being his most skeezy. Uh and this is on um it's not I don't think it's on the passenger. Um it's on the album It's the Idiot. Mm. It's yeah, it's it's not on the the one that has the passenger on it. It's the album before that. It's one of the Bowie produced ones. Yeah. Um because the original version of the song the mu- is musically skeevy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's just like boom, baby, baby. Like it's this like slow like honky mm, tonk song. Yeah, and REM turn it into this like pop song. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's kind of like a, it's a weird cover. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, it's worth listening to. Like it'll be in the notes. 
Yeah. <laughs> not worth listening to um, is a couple of these. Uh, uh, yeah, Mem- this is this is rough. Memphis Train Blues and Skin Tight. Yeah. So skin, skin Tight is Skin Tight. We all know Skin Tight. Yeah. Uh, this is just them doing it live and they're just fucking around. Yeah. Like this, this might as well be King of the Road, but for, for funk, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then Memphis Train Blues is just them saying, hey, remember when we did Hindu Love Gods? Yeah. Do you remember the blues? You know, I'm trying to forget the blues. I don't, I do not like Memphis Train Blues. No. Memphis Train. Fuck you. <laughs> like, it's, um, um I, I dislike that immensely. Yeah. Um, I also really like, uh, and this showed up on live sets um, as far back as I feel like maybe Fables. Um, oh. They did this, this Ghost Rider song. So you, you uh, also really like, or you also really dislike? Oh, really dislike. Okay, cool. Uh, I dislike you, those songs. You keep yeah, on no. saying the opposite of what you mean. I, yeah, I don't mean to. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm gaslighting you, Cole. The, um, yeah, I, think, yeah, I love this song about Ghost Rider that only has two chords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as covers of bands that wrote songs about superheroes, uh, Superman, uh, in a league of its own. is <laughs> is at least significantly better than Ghost Rider. <laughs> um ghost rider is very bad because it's actually about ghost rider right like it's about the uh these all came in a box set called um single action green and it was all the singles from this with their b-sides it was a four disc thing with a poster and i bought that i found that at an old record shop and i didn't know any of these b-sides it was before like any kind of b-sides compilations had come out yeah so i was like oh shit like this is like four rem eps i'd never heard before and 90 percent of this i feel like is unlistenable yeah <laughs> like it's it's all pretty bad like these are not good b-sides like that iggy pop cover is kind of fun memphis trains blues is bad skin tight is bad ghost rider is real bad yeah um yeah and then and then it was like an acoustic version of uh pop song 89 that's like what, what would i care about an acoustic version of this <laughs> it was already really good yeah and it's, it's not like you're taking that song and stripping it down is not gonna like reveal new things about it no no like there's <laughs> there's not much to it like that's kind of the point yeah. yeah. Um, Dark Globe, which uh, is a, a Sid Barrett cover, mm. uh, which like Sid Barrett, um, it, when it comes to Pink Floyd, like, I don't really like Pink Floyd, but I like the early Sid Barrett stuff. And yes. I like Sid, Sid Barrett. I like weird psychedelic Pink mm-hmm. Floyd. Um, and I actually like this song. It's um, really good. It's like a, it's a very raw pa- uh, piano ballad is the way they, <laughs> uh, they treated it. And he sings it in that like little kid voice. Like it's very like uh, innocent and vulnerable. You know, please take my hand. You know, it's like he's kind of stretching for the notes yeah. in like a Kermit way <laughs> that I kind of appreciate. Oh, Michael uh, Sabin's similar to Kermit, isn't he? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> like he's, he's, do, he's doing a little bit of that. So I, I like this song quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me want to look up the, the Sid Barrett album it's from. Yeah. Man, Sid, ba- Sid Barrett's story. Like I, I just keep on going back and reading that. Yeah. Like you just on his Wikipedia or like getting uh getting interviews about the time he the time he showed up when they were recording um uh Wish You Were Here. Mm-hmm. You know, just like just completely just physically transformed for the worse, just uh in a, in a bad state. Like his story is really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a tragedy. It's not a revelation to say that, but like I get fixated on that. Yeah. 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 He's very it's very sad. Yeah. Um, Deck the Halls, this again is one of these um, fan club things. It was released as part of an IRS compilation. It is just them doing Deck the Halls. Um, yeah. I, it's not IRS controversial, I don't some... think. So so I don't I don't think that this is a, com- is, is a controversial statement, but there might be somebody who says, aw, uh, Christmas <laughs> mu- music is really bad. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think there will be tons of people who say, aw, but I'm actually with you. Yeah. So, like, at least we can present a unified front. Like, I know tons of people who, man, my old office where I used to work, it'd be like, 
you know, uh, as soon as, you know, Oct- you know, Halloween was over, it's like yeah, nonstop yeah. Christmas music for like two months and yeah. it sucked. Yeah. I mean, just like, um, I buy, like biographical reasons for that too. Worked in a mall for eight years. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And, the commercial. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, was in show choir for six. And the fun thing about doing the Christmas time shows was going to different places and just fucking around and getting out of school. The bad part was the music that we had to sing. <laughs> There's a, like, I, I did like a, a idea of a hollow about it. Like listening to, you know, retail christmas mix like it was uh it's it's bad yeah and deck the halls i never need to hear again like how do people not get sick of this music like i know yeah. you only listen to it once a year but like i don't know like i don't need to eat you listen to it a lot uh-huh right so it's like i don't need to eat an elephant a, a day elephant a year a day <laughs> during carnival season you know? <laughs> right. like i need i need two funnel cakes a day <laughs> from july through <laughs> you know september yes i need a i need a savory funnel cake for dinner and a sweet funnel cake for dessert <laughs> and then a funnel shake for whatever i want like, <laughs> yep yeah funnel shake between meals and like and that's it like i just don't understand how people don't get sick of this shit <laughs> and there are christmas songs i actually kind of like more than others uh-huh. but if i never heard another christmas song in my life i'd be fine yeah yeah uh, i never need it again including yeah. when rem does it one of my favorite bands so yeah no and this is like this is just super super thrown off you know like they just rattled, rattled, rattled out. It's a, uh, you know, not uh, they didn't pay extra special care with this. No, yeah. And the, there's a guy. It's in the oral history. They used to do these at one of their buddies' house when they were back in Athens, mm-hmm. and they would take two days specifically to record their fan club stuff. So they would, and that's why these tend to be just Christmas songs and covers and shit, because it's just like, hey, we we happen to be here. Like, let's just knock off some stuff we know. Yeah, you know. So it makes it sound like kind of tossed off, like, oh, we're just throwing the fans anything because it'll eat up whatever shit we happen to make. But some of the fan club stuff is actually very good. Yes. Uh, uh, like this next thing, um, this uh, Rocky Erickson song. Yeah. The uh, I Walked With a Zombie. The guy from the uh, the 13th Floor Elevator is like a really early psychedelic mm-hmm. rock band. Yeah. Um, I had to look that up. I, I didn't know that. But yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah it's, it's a good song. It's like it's very basic. Mm hmm um, But it's real fun. Yeah. Well, it's fun yeah. because like they all take turns uh, singing the the main line. Like yeah, it just, it just it just goes over and over. It's a little bit a uh, little bit like shiny happy people, actually, like what they would do later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. Uh, so Rocky Erickson, um, Ockerville River actually produced one of his most recent albums, like back okay. in like 2011 or something like that. It's kind of like, hey, this weird Ockerville River, <laughs> this weird missing Ockerville River album is a Rocky uh, uh, Rocky Erickson thing. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it's a good song worth uh, worth looking up. Yeah. Um, there are these other ones here: the Parade of the Wooden Soldiers um super janky again they have a melodica here uh it's it's only melodica <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it is it's intolerable yeah like it's it's a you know it's a, it's a tolerance test and it's only like two minutes long like <laughs> it's really hard to to get through this mm-hmm. um but the other thing they did uh for the fan club single so that was the a-side the B-side was them covering television. Yeah. Um, it was them doing See No Evil. And I love that. I love See No Evil. This is, like, this is so good. Call me a parody of myself, but like the first television album is a masterpiece. And uh-huh. like, this is a really, really good song. Yeah. Um, and they do a great job with it. Yeah. They do something different. Like, um, I don't associate television with being super overproduced, but REM takes it and makes it really post-punky. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an excellent cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, and there are, again, there are other things from this time. This is also when they're because of the fan club and because they're kind of doing a lot of these little compilation things, I don't want to hear from nobody will do this. Like I always imagine the REM super fan. That's oh, not like enough people list. listen to do that. Yeah, yeah. Not enough people listen to that. But <laughs> if that person exists, I don't want the person who's like, uh, this B side should have actually been talked about when you talked about out of time as opposed to, cause this is all kind of in the same kind of corridor, you know, like, uh, the album's coming out, but even after the album comes out, they still, pro- 
know, tour it and support it. And like, so we're just kind of hitting everything chronologically. Um, you know, so pretty much just don't want to hear it in general, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, about, about the chronology of this. Like we're getting yeah. to all the stuff that I could find, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if, if we miss stuff, like it, like if, if there is like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing thing. Like it might come up, um, in a discussion on like a future letters episode. Yeah. like an errata and things like that. And like if, you know, and that goes for Gary, if you find something that you missed or if I find something in a book that's like, oh man, this is really we're talking about, like that is when that will happen. So don't think that we completely missed the boat. Those will happen later. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we uh, currently, I think have, I'd like to do two more of those, like one at the very end and another one and another few out, al- like four albums. Yeah. Between, uh, yep. be- be- between hi-fi and up. Yeah. Yep. yep. And then just one at the very end to do round up and then, yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's the episode. Um, green. I love this area of REM. I was nine years old when this came out. It's crazy. It's like very, very like young boy. Uh, didn't know shit. Yeah. Um, and I, and I love, uh, I still like how it sounds today. It's great. Highly listenable. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan as well. Um, I think, I think that, um, even, even as time has gone by, like, you know, as the old stuff kind of just becomes singles and as people have a dim view of things that came later, you know, like just every, every possible opinion is take is dilated as time goes, as time extends beyond. I think that if you haven't paid attention to green in a while, because it is this weird thing that fits between document, which was huge and out of time, which was huge, like go back and like, listen to it from front to back with like one and a half maybe two exceptions there's not a skipper on it yeah yeah I, yeah i think i think it's one of the more consistent albums yeah so yeah yeah um, um if what can people do if they like this show <laughs> uh please tell friends if you know people who enjoy music if you like rem and people who might know the singles um spread the word this is a, a show that doesn't have a tremendous amount of appeal um within our regular audience so the uh, uh the bulk of the burden for spreading the word is actually going to fall on you um mm-hmm. fall on you yes. um <laughs> no uh we appreciate everybody who has spread the word and people have said super nice things we just want more people to listen so uh, we will repeat that call again help us spread the word yeah yeah i would really appreciate that and another way you can do that if you know other than telling people like ratings and reviews do help Mm-hmm. Um, getting us up in those iTunes algorithms because we are competing in like a kind of a different pool, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, it'd be cool to be, you know, noteworthy in that music section. Um, and then the other thing, the most direct thing you can do just to support the network in general and let us do vanity projects like this is support us on Patreon. Yes. Uh, if you go to uh, patreon.com slash uh, you can give us a couple bucks a month and um, you get a bunch of cool stuff. That's going to be changing soon. Keep an eye out mm-hmm. for all that, like kind of the particulars of it however um you know it's always helpful to us regardless of what you get in return and yes. what we're working towards yep. it uh you know it helps us take the time to do this because it's not you know we reference there like this is a heavily researched show yep um you know for the listenership this is a lot of work not to complain <laughs> about it because it's fun work it's like yes. some of the most fun work i do for the network but it is uh, it takes a lot of time yes you know and uh it's it's nice to have support for that time yeah I uh, think that's about it. So uh, stick around uh, in two weeks. Like not no, like okay. So move from where you're at. You don't need to yeah. like sit still. But in two weeks, we're going to be back talking about out of time, continuing the uh, um, the Warner era. Uh, Gary, how do we end the show? Uh, it's the end of the show as we know it, and we feel fine. Wasn't as confident that time as we had. No, been, but it's 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 fine. Don't worry. <laughs>